Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Moving Into the Future. Today, I'm joined by Vince Barano. Vince is a seasoned sales professional with over 30 years' experience in sales. He's authored two books. And today, we're going to have a conversation about his, his history and story in sales, discuss some of his books, and have some fun. Vince, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you coming on. You know, I read your book, uh, Daily Dose of, of Sales Wisdom, uh, last year and uh, really enjoyed it. You know, I keep it by my desk. And, uh, you know, if there's ever a time where you just need a little boost, like you said, a daily dose, and um, it's helpful. And, uh, you know, uh, some of it really, you know, stuck with me and, and I enjoyed some of your success stories in there. So uh, before we get into the book, though, you know, I'd like to hear your experience in sales. You know, how did you get into sales? You know, was it something you always knew you were going to get into or, or how did it, how did it happen for you? No, um, that's a great question. And my father hates when I tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So I had gone to school and ended up with a degree in philosophy thinking I would go to law school and that was never to happen. So there I am, I graduate, I have a degree in philosophy, and every day I'd go to the store to buy the newspapers, because this is before the internet, and I'd lay them out on the kitchen table looking for jobs. And every day he'd come by and go, hey, is there anybody hiring any philosophers today? And I'd laugh and then, you know, go back and put my nose in the newspaper and try to find something. And, and the one thing that I kept coming across were jobs and sales. And seeing that I didn't have any other great skill set, I said, well, let me give this a try. So that's how I ended up in, in sales. I uh, was not qualified to do much of anything else, but I did realize that my background in philosophy, learning how to talk and you know, kind of reason and argumentation and writing skills, they would all help me become successful in sales and in sales management. Yeah. And that does make sense too, because obviously sales is so human oriented and, uh, you know, philosophy in, in some senses, you know, it depends on what type of philosophy you're really getting into, but you know, a lot of it deals with the human experience, um, you right. know, and, and, and how you react towards certain things and, and how other people react. So it certainly makes sense. Um, what else, you know, you mentioned your, your, your history and philosophy, but what else, especially when you were young, that, you know, you saw that the, the natural skills you possessed that allowed you to, to do well early in sales? And what were some of your early challenges? Because it is challenging when you're young and new in sales uh, to, you know, get going. So, you know, what were some of the things you saw you did well? And what were some of the things that, you know, you, you struggled with and, and felt you needed to improve on? I'd like to thank... Um many of my English teachers who, who gave me the love of writing, because I will tell you that we spent, I spent a lot of time in sales, uh, writing proposals and things like that. And at a very early age, I had one of my stories for creative writing published when I was like 14 years old. Oh, wow. Uh, I had an English teacher who wouldn't let me uh, give up on writing this piece. I tell this story in my book. Um, Everybody else was getting a grade on their writing assignments, except for me. He just kept having me rewrite these stories. And eventually I just gave in and, you know, back in the day, you, you had a longhand write this stuff. There was no computer. So I um, finally brought it to him and he looked at it. He said, great. He said, your reward is I'm going to have it published in the local newspaper tomorrow. And so I got a taste of, of that, of, of learning to love to write. 
but also um, I was involved with the student newspapers, which gave me a further love of writing, and then eventually in public speaking. So I've never been, you know, shy to get up in front of a group and to talk and, and to do those things. And I think those were all skills that helped me be successful in sales. You know, whether it was working trade shows or cold calling, you know, I was, I guess I was, uh, you know, too dumb to know the difference. I just kept at it. You know, and eventually if you keep at it long enough, you know, some good things happen, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think that was Thomas Jefferson, right? Who said that? Um, and you know, that's, that was too with, with me when I was young in sales is like, I was too, I was too naive to know when I was failing. Like I didn't even, I didn't even realize it was happening. I just kept going and looking for the wins. And, uh, I always had the mindset, uh, you know, eventually they would come and, my first experience in sales, it was cold calling. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, just, I enjoyed the technical aspect of like putting together a prospect list and like figuring out what I was doing well and what I wasn't doing well. Like when I did get a win, I used to analyze, you know, why did I get this win? What did I say here that, that worked well? If I got a no, you know, it was, um, it was okay. What could I have done better? And that sort of thing. And one of my first sales bosses taught me something really good. He's like, Jack, no is the second best answer to yes. Cause then, you know, you can move on. And, and that was really, you know, that was really big for me. And another thing he did is he, he told me, he's like, you need to eliminate the fear of failure. He's like, and that was huge as a young person, um, you know, to, to realize like, everybody's going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but you know, get past them, and especially in the moving industry too, you know, get past them and, uh, and do, you know, just do better the next time or, or, or improve from your you know, mistakes and, and learn from them and, and things like that. What other, you know, qualities do you find that are important in sales? You know, especially for a young, young person, your second book, you know, being, uh, the new sales professional playbook. What are some of the things that, you know, you, you advise a young person to, to do, uh, when, when they're just getting their start in sales? I think you, you hit on it. You, you have to be a little bit fearless. And, and when I say that, I don't want to uh, throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying not to be smart about how you work. But like you, you know, I had a lot of experience cold calling. And I used to cold call in the Bronx. So in other places I've worked around the country, I have people going, oh, you know, uh, you know, I got, I don't know about cold calling. I said, you don't know cold calling until you're in the Bronx. I said, I went out and bought a Samsonite briefcase, one of those metal ones, and put brochures in it in case it was gunfire so I could get myself to a mailbox. You know, at least I stood a chance of surviving. I said, you know, you're you're cold calling in the middle of downtown Arlington or, right, or something like different. that in a nice area. I said, give me a break. Um, and I think part of it you know, you know, it's use some humor because I love using humor to make a point. But I think that you have to go out and work hard, but work smart. Mm -hmm. And too many people in sales, and I don't want to point the finger at everybody, but oftentimes what happens is you get hired in sales and very few schools really teach you sales. So you right. get out of school, very little experience in it. And you get hired by a company who puts you on the hip of one of their seasoned sales professionals and goes, why don't you go out with uh, Susie or Bobby and watch them for the next month or two and see what they do. And there, you can garner, you can learn something from that. But just because you're really good at sales doesn't mean you're very good at teaching sales right. or 
helping people understand the, the entire process. Um, you know, you, you, get, you get snippets without really understanding the beginning, middle and end and how these things connect. And I think it's unfortunate. I'd love to see now that more colleges are, are introducing uh, sales in addition to marketing because those are two completely different things. Right. But in some ways, I think that everybody should have to take um, a sales class in high school. And the reason I think in high school, because you don't want to say college, that that whole thing is changing. But I think everybody needs to learn how to sell themselves, their ideas, um, and not just, you know, selling stuff door to door, but learning what it is to offer, um, be persuasive and um, promote your ideas and yourself. I think that's something everybody could benefit. I do, too. I do too, because again, you know, you, you said, you said a couple of things and I want to circle back on one, but selling yourself, you know, it's, it's almost a, uh, like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like an experiment in confidence, uh, you know, and, and how can you put together a plan to sell yourself? And because, you know, you can find a lot of things out about yourself and then, once you put it all together, you can garner new confidence in yourself, you know, in, in ways that you didn't know before. And, and I think that's very important because, you know, salespeople come in all different shapes and sizes and personality types and whatnot. Um, and some of the most successful are, are radically different from each other. But what they've done at some point in their life is find what works for them. And, um, you know, and I think what you said is, is work harder, uh, or excuse me, work smarter, not harder. Um, that was one of the chapters in Daily Dose of, of Sales Wisdom that I liked the most. You know, I think you talked about a, a, you working for an engineering firm and the, the sales process that you went through in that uh, took quite a long time, but it ended up being like, I think it was a $125,000 deal or something in that realm. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's my mentality too with, with what I do. You know, I've gotten away from the transactional move business and chasing those, you know, one-time office moves and looking more into account-based uh, business. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the type of, of mentality I'm trying to take is, you know, work smarter, you know, work on these relationships. That was the next chapter actually is, you know, the, the people remember how you make them feel. And, uh, you know, you know, that's something I focus on a lot. And again, I've done that through self-reflection and knowing myself first so, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, too, the great thing about sales, and again, you mentioned this in Daily Dose of Sales Wisdom, too, is you control your salary, you know, and, and you see so many layoffs right now at these, you know, large tech companies. And, and, and I've been there, you know, I've I gotten laid off from a tech company. And I think being back on the small business side, you know, which it, it teaches you, 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 you can really make an impact. And, you know, obviously these tech companies are great with their benefits and amenities and all of those things. But when you work for a small business and, you know, small business can be very large business, um, you make a real impact and, and, and you, you dictate more of your salary and your worth and, and things like that. So, you know, I hope people, you know, as they go through these difficult times, you know, at least are open to, to those opportunities, whether it be in sales or small businesses and, 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 you know, making their impact there too. I think you're right. You know, it was interesting as several years ago, pre-COVID, I had the opportunity when I was still living near DC, um, working with um, 
uh, a mentor program for young kids that were in foster care to go and speak along with some other professionals about different jobs to high school juniors. And um, it was really interesting. So I'm there with a lawyer and somebody else in tech and all these other jobs. And then here I am, you know, in sales, right? And so, but the one thing that seemed to resonate with them is I said, the one thing that I loved about sales is that every time I thought I was deserving of a raise, I just paid myself more. And so right. a lot of the kids started asking questions at the end and coming up to talk to me. And I said, well, I would just go out and I'd sell something else. And, I, and because it was commission-based, the more that I worked, you know, the harder that I worked, smarter that I worked, I could make more money. I said, you know, back in the day, I was making, I went from making nothing to making, uh, no disrespect, but making more than my parents in right. short order. Yep. And, and my father had a, you know, an advanced degree and been working as a teacher for years. Shows you how un underappreciated that, that whole industry is. But that aside, um, and, he, and he was going, how the heck is this even possible? You know, I mean, you and I, it was, it was sales. It was just simply going out and doing the, the right things. And the more that I had the opportunity to observe people, not only doing the right things, but observing people not doing the right things. Right. right. Uh, and then compare and contrast. And, you know, the one thing I think that most salespeople don't do enough of is properly follow up. Mm -hmm. Not to jump oh, yeah. too much into a lecture, but I, but I, I see it all the time and I, I shake my head because the funny thing about sales is my books aside, there's a plethora. There's a ton of books, articles, videos, uh, webcasts out there. There's no secret to sales. Right. The only secret is, do you do the things that other people do to be successful or do you not do them because you don't want to be bothered or you're lazy? It can't be because you don't know. It's all out there. Right. And so that's one of the things that I've struggled with in managing people is it's not a secret. You just have to go and do it. And if you can't bring yourself to do it, you're going to be that 20% or whatever that doesn't make any money in sales. You should Ex find something out. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, and, and, but see, once you start seeing those paychecks, you know, it becomes real good motivation. Um, and I'm actually coming up on it now and see, I've always, you know, known I'm going to get there. It's just, a, and I was having this conversation with Anthony Parziali, my boss yesterday, you know, we're like, he, yeah, he is great. And, and, you know, we had some FaceTime yesterday. He was in the city office and, you know, we're talking about getting there and getting there. And we're like, where is there? You know, there is just constantly moving. You know, he's like, I've been trying to get there for 20 years and, um, and he does very well. And, um, you know, but that's the thing though, it's, you know, I'm starting to get to the point now where he, he mentioned, you know, I blew past my number this year and, you know, I'm going to see a, a really nice, you know, bonus. And, um, I haven't even experienced that yet because I, I did when I was first in sales, but it was small. I was doing more residential and it wasn't anything significant, but, uh, I was, uh, I was always kind of getting there. And once I got there for my, in my first sales job, you know, I decided that I, I needed to try other things. Um, and, and I just got back into sale two years ago. So, you know, I finally, you know, hit that mark and it's really great, uh, motivation. You know, when you start seeing that money come through, you start to realize your potential and worth. And as far as the follow-up goes, it's fascinating how many people don't do it. See, I always thought that was just a given you follow up after like, you know, if you don't hear from them in a week, you follow up because 
I read somewhere a while back, if you're prospecting new business and you're trying to get a meeting with somebody, it takes about 15 times, 15 follow-ups for them to acknowledge you on average, uh, you know, and get that meeting. And, you know, it, you can go about it different ways. Emails become very redundant and annoying in some sense, but like shoot them a call. If you got their number, you know, hit them up on LinkedIn or, or mix it up. You know, what I see a lot of times with these emails is they're like templates, you know, and like, you know, you can tell they're just sending this template to several different or probably hundreds of different people. You know, when I try to do that, you know, I send an article or I attach a podcast and I'll say, hey, like, you know, saw you're in this industry, saw this going on. I sign up for newsletters with companies. And like, if I, you know, if I see something cool, I'll reach out to the person in procurement or wherever. Be like, hey, saw this going on. Like, great. You know, and, and that's, I find how you spark those conversations and I'd like to get your thoughts on relationship and sales and, you know, what you've seen work really well in that regard. Um, you know, throughout your years, how has relationship building and what are some of the things that you've learned in relationship building that have really helped you, you know, grow and, and nurture these accounts, you know, plant the seeds that grow into large oaks, if you will? I think it's a great question. I, I think one of the things you, you hit upon is that nobody wants to be treated like they're just anybody. Right. Everybody wants to be treated like they're special. And I think that we do a disservice when we, when we do, you know, you know a, a email blasts and stuff like that. Um, I know that it happens. I know that there's some level of effectiveness, but to your point, I think what really pays long-term dividends is building um, mutually beneficial relationships. When I was first in sales, when I was about 24, 25, um, I got a phone call from one of my clients who was asking me about um, computer monitors. Now, I was working for a company that sold the computer-related equipment, but we didn't sell computers or monitors. You know, they were part of our system, but they weren't the, the key part. And so anyway, I was talking to him. I, I offered what guidance I could, and I hung up, and my, my manager walked by, and I told him, you know, and I said, it was just odd. And he said, well, you don't realize that he just paid you this huge compliment. I said, what do you mean? I said, he needed to buy something. And of all the people he could have called for guidance, he called you. He said, today, he didn't use the language back then. Today, they call that a trusted advisor, right? So you move up to this role where you're going to give advice and your advice is sought after by clients. They trust you. Right. And I started to realize that. Um, that when you can give advice to people on things that maybe you don't even sell, you can help solve other problems when they're coming to you with other needs, it means that they, they trust you. And that's when you're going to get people to go above and beyond to want to work with you. And I, and I began to see that um, in different relationships. Guy, I had one gentleman, he was one of my best clients in New Jersey. And, you know, people in New York, New Jersey have a little bit of an attitude. Oh, yeah. You love it or not, whatever. Right. And so I was telling him how he was calling on this other company and the guy the of this other owner wouldn't see me. And he knew the guy. So right there in his office, he picks up the phone and he calls him. He goes, if you don't talk to this kid, you're an idiot. He said, I'm going to have him call you later. You take his call. and You set up a meeting with him. And uh, I ended up getting a meeting with him. I ended up selling him some equipment. And before I left to go to a, a, a promotion I got to be a manager, he was right on the cusp of buying another $120-something thousand dollar machine. Wow. 
I mean, the paycheck to me on that, this is 25, 30 years ago, was like 10 grand. I mean, wow. it was a lot of money. Yeah. And so I went to see him and I said, listen, I said, uh, I want to let you know, I got this promotion. I'm going to be transferring out in like a month. And I think that, you know, I know that you're considering, you know, buying this other system. I think you ought to wait till they appoint a new sales rep so you can build a relationship with that person. And he looked at me and he said, no, I'm going to buy the machine from you and I'm going to buy it today. And I said, well, I don't have the, you know, I like, I don't have it all together. And we always met across the street from his office at this little bakery. And he said to me, he said, that's fine. He said, you sit here and write out all the contracts when you're done, you come back, you knock on my door, I'll sign it and we'll be done. Wow. You know, and uh, it really taught me that, you know, it, it, I had to kind of kick down that door using another client to get in front of him, but that our respect had grown to such a point that, you know, he, he saw that not only benefiting his business, you know, these devices are going to help him make money, but he wanted to make sure that I got credit, you know, for my work. And, you know, I really respected when people did that um, because yeah, when you're in sales, people say, oh, you do things just because you want a commission. Um, it's not always true, but I can understand why that sometimes gets pinned on us, you know, but it's great when, when you have clients who go out of their way to say, I recognize that you go above and beyond. Yes, I understand this is your livelihood, but you do go above and beyond. And where I can, I'm going to uh, um, pay it back or pay it forward because, um, you know, I, I like what you've done beyond the commission that you've earned. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And because, like you said, you know, a trusted advisor and any relationship you enter into, you know, whether it's a work relationship, personal relationship, business relationship, whatever it may be, um, there is a level of, you know, trust and reliability. It's what makes good friends and, you know, good, good relationships, right? And um, there is a level of vulnerability when you ask for something, whether you're on the sales side or on the client side, you know, asking for a favor or you're coming to that trusted advisor. So when either party can, you know, reconcile and, you know, come through for the, for the other side, it's, it's notable. And that's what creates those bonds and, you know, um, makes them more powerful. It just happened to me with one of my clients. He's based in Austin, Texas, but his brother and his, his brother and his, his uh, wife are moving to Queens. And they're like, Hey, you know, I know you're in the moving industry, but do you have any you know, residential brokers, you can introduce my cousin to, or my brother to. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he just texted me this morning. And uh, where is it here? Let me see. And he said, uh, sounds like the broker's really taking care of my brother. Cannot thank you enough for the wreck and the help. Um, so, you know, it's those sort of things. Like, you know, you come through and just making that introduction or, or doing what you can for people. It's a little, it's a little things and you, and you don't quite realize to your point, how important sometimes these little things are to people, like making that strategic introduction or, or making sure that they're, um, you know, that, that they're taking care of at a different level. I'll give you an interesting side note. When I was at uh, JK Moving, we had the opportunity to be involved with um, uh, one of these charity groups that was doing like a chili cook-off. It was one of the brokerage firms and they were gonna have this event. and um, you know, in addition to cooking chili, you know, there were other booths to do different things. 
And I thought about it and I said, you know, I think that what we ought to do is focus on people's kids. So we got uh, an artist to paint faces and another one to like draw pictures of the kids. And then we got coloring books and all this stuff. So we set up the JK Kids Corner. Well, the next year, um, it went so well that the next year they gave us this huge tent area to run this thing. Everybody who came through loved it because we had snacks for the kids and everybody was there for the kids. You know, people love when you do stuff for them, but they go bonkers when you take care of their kids. Right. And it's funny, you know, none of that stuff was had any great value to it. Right. Right. But the simple fact they came through and we had set up all this stuff and people were, you know, giving the parents a break to have a cold beer and a bowl of chili while we were, you know, coloring and, you know, keeping an eye on their family. Um, it was great. We got a lot of kudos for that. We made a lot of new relationships that we never would have gotten banging on doors even or cold call. Exactly. Exactly. And, and like you said, they remember how you make them feel. And, you know, and, and that's what it comes down to. And, and we were talking about it before. And I want to mention it since, you know, we're talking about kids and stuff like that. You're writing a new book um, about your time in youth sports and, uh, you know, coaching. And I've, I've, I've said this several times before, you know, youth sports and, and going up through travel and, and, and all of those things. Um, it's the reason why I succeed in business and sales is because of the skills that I learned in youth sports at a young age and then throughout, you know, high school and college. Um, you know, obviously teamwork, but conflict resolution, learning how to win and lose, training, um, you know, discipline, uh, those sort of things, you know, people, people skills in, in managing and working with different people with, you know, different uh, personality types and things like that, all I owe largely to sports. So, you know, tell us more about that book you're writing and uh, what was your motive behind it? Well, it's interesting, you know, this, I, I always liked writing, but this whole book writing thing um, is really like a bad rash or something. I, I, I got <laughs> it. Now I, I can't put any cream on it. It doesn't go away. So you better get that checked out. I wanted to to switch gears, I have a book coming out with my, my very good friend, Bob Green, um, in a month or so uh, about uh, networking for attorneys. It says, I'm not in sales, I'm an attorney, I'm a lawyer. And it, it's all about helping attorneys network and, and grow their practice. And while we were working on that, um, you know, I was just doodling some, some stories in my mind about coaching. And the next thing you know, I had made a list of some 50 different stories about interactions with, with kids and, um, and what that meant. Because I coached originally when my son was playing Little League up until he got to about middle school and he had a year of uh, football and I coached. And then he went off to high school and my good friend and I, who had always coached together, we, we kept going. Like our kids had now gone beyond us, but we kept at it a few more years. and. I actually, in some ways, had even more fun because I didn't have any, I didn't have to worry about anybody saying, oh, your kid's, you know, batting third because it's your kid right. or any of that. Right. I used no to favorites. joke and tell the kids, I dislike you all equally. <laughs> and um, I would, uh, you know, I really always felt that way about them. But uh, yeah, the name of the book, hopefully nobody will take it. I think we're still making sure we can copyright it is, hey, coach, I got a pee. And um, other little stories like that throughout. And um, yeah, when it comes out, I'll send you a copy. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm about halfway through. Nice. 
Yeah, please do, because uh, we were talking about this before. I am undergoing my first endeavor as a youth sport coach, and um, it's great. You know, I really, one of the things that I've always, you know, made a mantra of mine or a real focus is, you know, if you got a problem with things, you know, the future, the the, the kids of the future who are going to be adults is how you change it, you know? And um, yes. I think uh, men specifically, uh, you know, there's a lack of leadership, lack, lack of male leaders in the, in the world in general. And, um, you know, I aim to be a leader to these young men and, you know, not so much in like a, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't think of myself like as, as uh, anything, you know, prominent or anything like that, but just how to do things the right way. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because they're 10 and, you know, they have the attention spans of like a cocker spaniel and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's, um, it's a lot of fun. And we've gotten to a stage now where they listen, you know, and they, and, and you can see the growth and, and, when you're that young, the growth can be pretty significant in a, in a short time. And, you know, that you can tell they want to get better and they want to learn the game and we're winning, which is great. Um, and, you know, uh, everybody's understanding, you know, scoring the basketball is, is only one part of the game. But, you know, there's defense and passing and, and, and all of those things um, that go into it. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's my main priority and I was telling you this before, is just to make sure they come back next year. When mom and dad say, you know, do you want to play basketball again? You know, Coach Jack will be there, and it's an easy yes. And, you know, and, and that's what I like. And, you know, you said you measured in, uh, in hugs. You know, I, I definitely measure it in smiles. You know, I, I, I make sure the kids are having fun. And, again, they're goofy, and they're 10, and, you know, they, they, they get out of line sometimes. But that's okay. Like, you know, just have fun. <laughs> That's part of it. You know, it was funny. And, and I told you that about the hugs, it was the hugs from the moms and, and sometimes the dads when they saw what an impression you made, you know, on their kids. And again, I, I coach kids as, as young as eight or nine, a rich starting off. And in the end, they were all like middle school age, like 12, 13, maybe mm -hmm. 14. And one of the things when we coached football, um, a lot of the kids we coached, they were, you know, eighth grade and the next year they graduated, they went to high school. Right. But one of the things parents noticed was that after a freshman football was done, five, six, seven kids who played for us the year before, they'd come down to the practice field where we were. That was, you know, a mile or so from the high school. And they'd help out. Yeah. And they'd come back and you'd say, some of the parents were like, you got these kids, you know, now 14 or 15. They're coming back to hang out with the coaches who coached them last year. And help out, they'd help run the drills because they knew all the drills. They'd, you know, be on offense when we were on defense or vice versa. You know, they'd help out, work with some of the kids and some of the skills, how to catch or you know, how to pitch the ball. And um, it it really came to light that we were making an impression on them. Yep. And we were we were helping. Because I think we all, even the best parents, everybody wants to think they're a good parent. I think we all need a little help. And I think kids listen to other people which is both the good and bad right you want to make sure they're around the right people because they are impressionable they do listen to other people but you want to make sure they're spending time with some other people who care that they're not just you know playing a basketball or football but knowing that what you're doing is helping them become good adults exactly and um you know having a you know a safe environment to fail 
and to, to scrape their knees, but never really to get hurt. Right. Be able to get learn to get back up again. And I think a lot of us who are well adjusted, for lack of a better word, were able to have experiences like that, whether it was sports or with scouting or I don't know, chess club or whatever yeah, it was. A number of things. You, you know, you got some support from other people outside of your uh, parents that gave you some opportunities to see what you could become, you know, versus what you were. Exactly. That's the difference um, is you want to treat people the way that they could become the better version of themselves and help them on that course, because that's, that's really making a contribution to, as you said, society overall, right? Not just the individual, but the whole society. Exactly. And it kind of stems back to some of the stuff we were talking about before, as far as like taking a sales class in high school and, and you know, enabling that confidence um, in, in individuals. And that's what I'm trying to do with these kids. You know, I mean, I think some of them are in the position where mom and dad sign them up, you know, just for something to do. And it's like, you know, they're kind of halfway in. But uh, I really aim to let them know, like, hey, you're a good player. Like, you know, you got it. Like, you can, you know, you can be as good as you want to be. You just got to practice and stick with it, you know. And I, I aim to make sure they don't get discouraged and, you know, mistakes. It's It doesn't matter, you know. It's We move on from them, you know. One of the things, so – I got a kid, he, he's, you know, he's always saying, I get fouled, I get fouled. I say, listen, buddy, the ref doesn't call it. The game moves on. And um, I was at practice with him. I was like, I, I'm going to, and I'm not the type to give homework or anything like that, but I was like, I want you to do me a favor. I said, when you get to the game on Saturday, before then, I want you to look up the word stoic, and I want you to tell me what that word means. And then, you know, I want you to come here and just remember, you got to remain stoic and, you know, Life and the game is going to throw different challenges at you. You got to get through and, you know, you got to focus on your team and, you know, making yourself and your teammates better. And, you know, hopefully we get the win in the process. Um, uh, you know, I've actually got to read that book. That's on my list this year. It's great. I know. It's great. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I got to read that. It's, uh, I try to go, I do fiction, nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction, um, and, I, and I alternate. And um, I'm just finishing up Atomic Habits. I've been on it for a while. Oh, it's great. It is very good, very good, very good, and very helpful. It's funny what you said because, you know, parents sometimes are misguided. I had one parent come, and they had signed their child up for football, and I was talking to them. And they go, yeah, we, we're expecting you to toughen them up. I go, well, that's, that's not what we do. Right. It made me, it reminded me of what my mother once said. She goes, it's amazing. you got to get a license to have a dog, but anybody can have children. She said, you know, we've, we've got our <laughs> emphasis in the wrong direction. Um, you, you, you don't sign people, kids up for, for sports like football to toughen them up. Right. right? Um, but I think that for the most part, what, what parents are looking for with, with kids anyway is um, another influence because I had, it was really funny. My best friend and I coached our kids for years. And it was funny because if I went and told my son anything during a baseball game, you would have thought I was, I was asking for the wrath of, you know, heaven and hell. But if he heard it from my friend, it was sound advice right. and vice versa. So sometimes we grab each other and he'd say, hey, go tell my son, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'd go over to his son and I'd whisper, you know, in his ear, you know, a little advice. And he'd go, okay, coach. And he'd do it. But if his father had said it to him, he'd have lost his mind. 
Right, because he hears his father every day. That's, you know, and, th and that's the thing, and that's why it's good to have that. Um, so, yeah, that's really great. I look forward to seeing that book, and i got a couple more questions for you. Um, the first being with your time at JK, you know, you've – I had Jim Stevens on, you know, and he credited you for being a real big inspiration over there and, you know, uh, doing a lot to build out that, that sales organization and, and growing it. What was it like over there, you know, and, and I know Brian and Brad and those guys, you know, when you're building a team like that, uh, how is it, you know, how is it you go about it? Because it's similar to, to sports in some sense, you know, and managing different personalities and, and, you know, learning how to motivate each one individually. You know, what was that like with the, with the different people there? Because they're all very high quality people, um, you know, and uh, I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. Um, I was fortunate that the, the people like Jim and Brian and Brad and Rocco and, and, and a lot of other people, they, they were they were high quality people long before I got there. I think the thing that you look to do, and, and it's the responsibility of the of the leader, sales manager, sales VP, whatever, um, is to define is to define the culture. And really people talk about culture and all this and, and it's important, but it really boils down to what you will focus on as being good and reward and what you will admonish and, and try to rid and get rid of. That's what it is. It's around behaviors. What do you honor as good behavior and supports a culture and what things will you not um, accept? Because it's not what you say, it's what you tolerate. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not my quote. Another gentleman said that, and, but I believe that's true. It's not what you say, it's what you tolerate. And that's what people will um, kind of float to as, as the culture. And I was very lucky in wanting to create a culture where we competed not so much with each other, but with our competition. But behind the scenes, we would do what we could to help each other, mm -hmm. um, not only uh, professionally, but if needed, personally. You know, we would be there for each other. And um, we got tremendous buy-in from people around that. I think it was something that, um, you know, there was a lot of good things already going on, but I think it was something that they, they appreciated um, coming from me. I mean, I, I used to tell people sometimes to go home, to go home and have dinner with their family. They were, they were, they were there too much. I had another rule that I never wanted anybody to miss their kids first day of school or a school play. I said, listen, I said, even if there's something going on, I'll cover it for you. I said, but make sure you balance out, you know, time with your family. And I've had people um, tell me that they appreciated that because right now there's so many people saying, don't worry about it. You have to work. Your family will be there. It's like, no, yeah, um, your family and not just people with kids, but when, especially when you have kids, they're little. And the next thing you know, they're, they're on their own. Right. You know, somebody who's got a 26 year old, it went quick, but I'm glad I made some of the choices I did to maybe not pursue some, you know, uh, other other avenues for my own career so that I could be there to coach his little league games and, you know, see him play and hang out with his, uh, you know, with his friends. I, mean, I don't I don't regret any of that. Uh, and I know there's a lot of people who are successful. They've made a lot of money. You know, to me, money is is great because it gives you options. Mm -hmm. But in and of itself, I don't remember the last time I went to a funeral and they announced how much somebody had in their checking account. 
You know, what Very I do true. remember is people getting up and saying whether that person had any money money, but had made time for other people. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people reflect on that. Yeah. And so I tell people, you want to live, unfortunately, a little bit like you're, you're writing your own uh, uh, Obituary? eulogy. Yeah, oh, eulogy. Yeah. Now, what are people going to say about you when you're gone? Right. If they're going to say you, you sold a lot of move jobs and made a lot of money, I guess that's okay if that's what you're aiming for. But if you're aiming to say, hey, this was somebody who dedicated their time to, to work with kids and, and uh, run a basketball program for years and make sure the kids had a safe place to go, if that's more important than money helps you get there, so be it. Right. No, that, that's very well said and, and very true, too, because uh, – you know, especially a guy like Jim, you know, comes to mind. He is a, uh, you know, he's a Bronco. He's, he's, he goes, you know, and he's, he's tough to wrangle in sometimes, and he's mentioned it. And, you know, I think you helped him out a lot with that, you know, kind of uh, slowing him down so he could reach new heights. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's what it takes a little bit, you know, is to take a step back and, uh, you know, just take a breath and, you know, allow yourself to, get out of your own way a little bit, you know, and I think that's, uh, that's really important, you know, because so many people think, you know, you have to put in and you do, you know, you have to work hard, you have to put in the hours, you know, and, and do things, but there's, there's, there's a balance to it, you know, and, and there's the way to go about it, um, where you don't need to sacrifice your, your health, you know, physically and mentally, you know, just to hit a number, uh, you know, you'll get there if you're, you know, you treat people right, and, you know, do the right things, you know, in terms of sales and business. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll make it to where you're going, but it doesn't necessarily take, you know, 60, 70 hours a week or something like that. Um, well, there's a the great, time. there's a great little line about if you're not sure how you're chasing your own dreams, you might just be working to fulfill someone else. Right. Right. So be careful, you know, kind of what you wish for. And I, you know, hey, if you got to work sixty or seventy hours to to, to just fulfill your dreams, and you know, I guess that's okay. But to your other point, you know, think about what really is most important. And one of the things I love right now about not working for anybody, working for myself, aside from the fact that my boss can be a real jackass, <laughs> is that I get the the opportunity to decide what I want to work on, right. what I want to do, um, and it mentally. It's put me in a place I've really never been before, uh, and I and I and I and I half recommend it to, to everybody to some degree, not necessarily right now, but but somewhere in your career to have that opportunity to to do your own gig and um, you know make your own rules. Right, there's something to be said. It's a little it's a little leery at first, but um, there's there's a lot of benefits to that. It, it puts a lot of things into perspective about really what's important. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's great. And, you know, Vince, this has been great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. This has lived up to the hype. A lot of good advice, you know, a lot of good stories. You're, you're, you're an impressive guy. I'm really appreciative to know you. Um, and, and we got to do this again soon. You know, I, we could have kept going, but, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll definitely pick this up another time and, and hopefully in person if you're ever up in the city. I do have family up in New York. So I, I do, I will call you, Jack, and, and let you know. Um, it's, it's funny because the further south I move, the more people point out, you know, my sarcasm. Right. You know, you need to to minimize that. And I go, yeah, but then I would never be able to go home. I said, right, exactly. Exactly. Go to family dinner, and I they 
they the sharks would just you know tear me yep. apart. You know? Exactly, so you, you got to stay uh, sharp. But thank you again. I really appreciate it. it. Was uh it was great, and I'd love to come back. I enjoyed talking with you, and thank you so much. Glad for our our uh, new friendship, our new relationship. Me too, Vince. Thanks a lot. Thank you everybody for listening. Looking forward to the next time.